Hi, I'm Cheryl Prashker, and this is FolkPod, the podcast where we'll hear from some of the most prolific and talented musicians on the folk scene. So get ready for a deep dive into a life lived through music, in the studio, on the road, and now more than ever, online. If we're lucky, they may even play us a tune and help us figure out what folk music really is all about. Before we get started, a little bit of business. FolkPod is a labor of love, and a whole lot of work goes into every episode. I've heard from a lot of you how much you're enjoying it. So we've put a virtual tip jar up on our website, thefolkpod.com. Please consider leaving us a tip to help pay for the real costs that go into creating this series. There are other ways that you can show your appreciation, too. Like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platforms. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TheFolkPod. And leave us great reviews to help other fans find us. This week's guest is Eliza Gilkison. Eliza is a two-time Grammy-nominated songwriter and now makes her home in both Austin, Texas and in New Mexico. She was inducted into the Texas Hall of Fame and is a Red House Records recording artist. The song Peace in Our Hearts off her latest album entitled 2020 just won Best Song of the Year at the recent Folk Alliance International Awards. Welcome, Eliza. Hello. Hello. <laughs> this is a real treat. Well, thank you. I appreciate you agreeing to sit down with us at Folk Pod. Well, it's not like I'm on the road every day somewhere else. <laughs> it's really actually been kind of great to be able to do things like this from home and have it work out. Have you had a chance to actually do stuff like this, like other interviews and things like that? Yeah, a lot of them. It's great. And of course, more online stuff across the board. So it's one of the few things we can do right now. <laughs> you and Dan Navarro, I feel like anyways, were one of the first to actually go online and make a go of it. You know, you have regular concerts, I think mostly Friday nights. I was doing Friday nights. And then I got to about, I don't know, seven or eight weeks into doing a weekly show. And I realized <laughs> I'm going to move to a monthly show. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You're used to playing every single night. Yeah. But people don't realize how exhausting, emotionally exhausting the online thing is. I don't yeah. think we can even put into words. Can you? You're kind of playing to the same people every week. So, Right. That is true. Like when you're on the road, it's different people every night. So you can do this set show. But when you're doing virtual shows, it's sort of like, well, I've got to do something different every <laughs> week. And <laughs> I don't know how people do that. Busted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> same stories oh, about yeah. <laughs> it's not the same as live shows. Did you have a like a learning curve that you had to go through to do the whole techie thing? Did you have some help? Well, fortunately, we were in Austin where my son lives and we were very socially distancing there in the beginning, but he would come over and we'd mask up. And my son just set me up with a really great system and taught my husband and me just the very basics of it. So we were fine as long as not one <laughs> little thing would go wrong. When we get back out on the road, do you see yourself still doing some virtual shows from time to time? A lot of people have been weighing in on that. Oh, God, yes. I'm going to be doing a lot less touring and a lot more virtual. I've just spent the last 15 or 20 years really, really hitting the road hard. And yep. I don't think I realized how exhausted I was till I stopped. And there's just 
a lot of fun with the virtual. You can go to places that you yep. never got to go to. Yep. Like I had stopped touring England and the UK and Europe almost 10 years ago because I was having trouble with long distance flights. Okay. And now I can pipe a show over to uh, Europe and play to people again. So it really has been pretty cool. And also just not flying anymore. I don't have it yeah. in me right now to get on an airplane. So I'm sure that will change. I feel the same way. Yeah. You do? A little, little nervous about that. Yeah. I hope it changes in my heart, but right now I don't see it happening. It's really shifted. Yeah. Do you miss the fans though? Well, they've been so great online. So I miss the one-on-one, but it's just so hard to keep that pace going at my age. I'll get back to it again, I think, but I haven't even had a shot yet. So I still think people are going to be a little nervous about going out. I think mm. the demographic of our fans. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Yeah. They may be a little nervous as Excited as they are to get back to seeing concerts, I think they're going to be a little nervous mm-hmm. to be sitting shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, I think so too. And they should be. I think even after I get a shot, I'm probably going to keep doing the mask thing. Yep. I think a lot of people are, so. Yeah. I don't know if you do this online, but any songwriting workshops where people pay in and then you sort of have a, a small group. Have you done that in the last year? Yeah. As a matter of fact, we've done three of them and they're were incredibly successful. Yeah, and I would think so. Our songwriter workshops are so successful. We don't even advertise for them. We just oh. get the word out and they sell out so fast. And, okay. But I do it with John Gorka and my friend Don Richmond. And okay. we've yeah. been doing them for years now live, you know, in person. But yeah. since summer, we've gone virtual with them and they're just a blast. And, and plus, it's so much cheaper for people. They don't have to fly. They don't have a hotel room. And yeah. we can charge less. And yeah. and we have so much fun at the workshops. I'm so glad. Oh, great. Yeah. Of course, now the whole world knows. It's like the technical stuff is sort of weird sure. for about 10 minutes. <laughs> and then everybody just pushes right through it. And we have tears and breakthroughs and big laughs. Aww. And that sense of that communal experience is really alive and well. I love that. I should take one. Sure. Okay. That was just my inside voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, they're great songwriters in our classes. I don't call them students. I just call them songwriters because they're so great. Cool. And I'm sure they just love having some one-on-one with you. And I'm glad you're doing that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, John and I are a good team because uh-huh. I'm very good at the front end of really figuring out where a song is stuck and the ways to fix them and stuff. But John has these wonderful little one-off insights that are so special and spontaneous and insightful. It's the quiet ones you have to look out for, right? (laughs) (laughs) He is. He is. He's one funny guy. I love him. You know, I've been following your career for quite a while and just a fan. I just have to say that. A big fan. Thank you. And I know that you come from some songwriting I'll call it royalty because I think it's kind of cool. Your dad was an incredible songwriter and you got to work with him, I understand. Is that how you started? Did you always write songs? Did you always see music as your calling or was there other things that you thought you might be doing in life? I know there never was anything else I wanted to do from pretty early. And (laughs) I think my dad sort of made it so that it seemed like it was possible just with the life he led and also his integrating me as a kid into what he was doing. How old were you? Well, the first professional thing I did, I think I was about 14 years old. My dad was writing for Disney and he had me sing on his demos and they liked my voice. So they hired me to do the actual ones in the movie and the TV shows. Did you? Yeah, I did. But I was terrified. The studio was as big as a gymnasium. I remember all the producer and engineers, they were way up in a building. 
they were like up, like if you're looking up in a booth above a gymnasium or something. Wow. <laughs> so there must have been a full orchestra, right? I assume. They had me after the orchestra had already done their part, but okay. But I remember that okay. I was so scared. It was the first time I'd ever done anything remotely like that. And they were now, honey, just relax and take a deep breath. <laughs> you know? I was really nervous. They'd sing it like you sang it on the demo. And of course, just classic producer shit. They always liked the thing they heard first, you know. Oh, do it like the demo. Look like the demo. So I was like, I don't know what oh. the demo was. <laughs> so your dad must have heard you sing. Yeah, he must have heard you sing when you were young and realized that you had the talent. That's so cool. Oh, I called him into the room because I think I started on auto harp. No kidding. I called him into my room. <laughs> I was about 13 because my voice was all of a sudden, my God, I had this voice and it was so mature and everything. I remember calling him in my room and I was like, come here, listen to this. You know, I was like, I was really surprised <laughs> and kind of excited about it. It felt like it was something outside of myself. Wow. For those who don't know, Eliza's dad was Terry Gilkison. He, as you said, wrote for Disney. I know he wrote the music for Bare Necessities and The Jungle Book. Yes. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing Greenfields when I was a kid and just absolutely falling in love with everything about it. The music, <laughs> the lyrics, the harmonies. And I know you've covered it. I have. Once there were green fields Kissed by the sun Once there were valleys Where rivers used to run Once there were blue skies With white clouds high above Once they were part of An everlasting Mysterious. Yeah, it is. I think it was actually one of the early crossovers of folk music into pop music. Right. So for a lot of us, I think people who probably were just beginning to wake up to the kind of music that we wanted to hear, that was a real bellwether, that song, Uh for people who wanted to go in that direction musically. So it was like, wow, this is a whole other thing here. Was that the Easy Risers that did it? The hit was The Brothers Four. Right. Oh, right. I had that album. They had the big hit. But the Easy Riders did record it. And I think The Brothers Four kind of used their version. Right. That was it. Brothers Four. I can even see the front of the album in front of me. Yeah. Very collegiate. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To me, that is American songwriting royalty right there. Did you know? Did I know that my dad had the thing? Yeah, when you were young. Actually, when I was about four, I remember that we were up in Wyoming, we were visiting a ranch and there was all these people. My dad did an impromptu concert up in this cabin 
And there was probably 30 people, all cowboys and <laughs> kitchen help and some guests and stuff. And my dad was sitting on a bench and I was sitting across the room. And I remember crawling across the floor. It was dark <laughs> and there was a fire, you know, a firelight. And I remember crawling across the floor and standing up right next to my dad and looking out at everybody's faces. It's probably my earliest memory was looking out and realizing that there was something going on that I really, really got and just stood there and seeing this back and forth between him and them. It's just this place that the collective was going together. I mean, I didn't think at four, this is the collective moving through space and time, but I just thought, (laughs) this is cool, whatever this <laughs> yeah, 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 that is neat. And you embraced it, I guess. You and your brother, who's also a songwriter. Oh yeah, he's a great songwriter. Yeah, yeah. So you all embraced it. I have to ask you this question. It's a silly question, but did you actually ever meet Walt Disney? That's actually a good question. I, I can't remember if I did. I think I did. I mean, my dad would have to go there and play Walt the songs on his guitar, <laughs> but I can't remember if I met him or not. Is that an interesting question? Probably not if I can't remember. Yeah. So besides your dad, who were some of your musical influences? Well, my dad had this band called the Easy Riders, the second incarnation of yep. the Easy Riders after he broke up with the first guys. were younger guys, and one of them was a very young Van Dyke Parks. He was, I think, 17 or 18 years old at the oldest. Oof. And his older brother, Carson, they came out from the East Coast and were in my dad's band. And so Carson was my guitar teacher. And Van Dyke, of course, was just this wild, out-of-the-box musician. He probably was only like five or six years older than I, but when you're 14, that seems like a lot older. (laughs) It does. (laughs) So both of the Parks Brothers were a big influence on me. And of course, I went straight to the beautiful female vocalist, Joan Baez, was big for me because she was political and so earthy and ethereal and all the female singers. And then graduating to Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell, of course, blew the doors open for all of us and gave us permission to hmm. be much more self-indulgent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before that, did it even bother you to be a female in this business? I was brought up to think that women could do anything. I mean, it really was just an assumption. Hmm. But over the years, I really had a hard time making anything happen. And I can't just say it was all because I was a woman, but I would say at least 50% of that was because I was a woman. In those days, they didn't sign women. Wow. Nobody got signed. Maybe one in 200 signings were a woman. Yeah. And so it really was just a real uphill struggle. And hmm. the only women that made it were ones that allowed the men to shape them stylistically and production-wise and stuff. And then they had to... Yeah play a certain game. And I wasn't good at that. And I never wanted to compromise who I was that way. No, I could see that. Yeah. But, you know, in some ways that was sort of idealistic of me. I suppose if I had made a few compromises, maybe I would have actually bought the ranch. (laughs) (laughs) But I had hippie ideals. They were sort of strict. And I wanted to be a back to the land hippie. And I wanted to write about those things and sing about those things. And that really wasn't what the industry was looking for. I'm glad you did it your way. You think? I don't know. I'm not sure. It is hard to tell. I have no regrets. You don't want to have regrets when you get to be a certain age. You just want to go, this was my beautiful life. And I learned all these things and my life was beautiful, you know. So there were times when I was younger when I really resented that I hadn't been able to get a tour bus and a hit record. Yeah. Because I think I had a lot of the goods, but at many crossroads, I made interesting decisions. (laughs) (laughs) And was it hard to raise a family? And tour, did you do all that at the same time? 
I, I did. I raised two kids. Yep. It's this gondelia. And I felt that I did it badly and was very self-absorbed in a way that artists should be self-absorbed. Right. But if they have kids, they can't, they shouldn't. You know, I had children really young and I was still a teenager when I got pregnant with Cisco. And I think I had to make amends with them years later. And we did. We're very tight now. I know you tour with Cisco. He's a great drummer. And he's produced my last three records too. I mean, he's yeah. great. Cisco is great and yep. very talented and a wonderful, wonderful person to boot. And he has beautiful children and my grandkids were all very close. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> Thanks. And your daughter, does she live nearby? She also lives really close by in Austin and she has three kids. Cool. And my granddaughter is a wonderful songwriter and singer. So Wow. Family tradition. Some of it's passing along. <laughs> I love that. That's good. Um, did you always gravitate towards political topics? Well, you know, the first record I bought was Phil Oaks, I Ain't Marching Anymore. Aha. That was my first LP. Yeah, there you go. Social issues were very important to me, but I didn't get really good politics till much later in life. I had this hippie overlay of love will conquer all and right, right. no fighting men. <laughs> but I didn't have a good understanding of systems of power or anything like that. <laughs> All right. When I started writing really more in-depth political music, I had to educate myself. And of course. so that has been a process that has taken me a, a long time to figure out how to write about these things and still make it very musical and not just to hit your listener over the head with a message. Huh. And, you know, that has been a real learning curve for me how to do that. I think you're incredible at it because you don't. Thank you. And you're an incredible storyteller too. Well, thank you. I would like to be a good storyteller, but when we get into the political arena, yeah. it's really tricky how to tell those stories without being too heavy handed. No, but just like story stories. Mm -hmm. Like on Paradise Hotel, you have Jedediah 1777. Yeah. Oh my, one of my favorites. Thank you so much. Jedediah out in the snow, walking the frozen trench lines. Wet boots and his wool coat coming apart at the seams. Rations of hard-baked dough, handfuls of melting snow. What else can a man live on but his dreams? Not twenty miles away in the mansions of Philadelphia, loyalists laying their money down on the king. We've provisioned enough for the day, but if victory were just for the wealthy, our noble cause wouldn't be worth the hardship we're suffering. Send the cloth for a good waistcoat. I dream of your hearth and the fields of oat. I wake to the drum and the trembling note of the fifer. May it please God in his great mercy to shelter our friends and our family. I remain your son most faithfully, Jedediah. I don't know. I just love the way you paint pictures. I mean, I could see the whole video in my head when you sing a song that you've mm -hmm. written. Thank you. Well, that was fun. And I like to do research because then you get more possible opportunities for right. imagery and stuff. And in the case of Jedediah, I mean, I had a whole book with his actual words in it. So wow. I was able to pull whole lines out of that book from his letters back to his father in the 1700s. So yep. I teach this in my songwriting classes as well. I mean, 
it's just all about being open to the information and translating the information in a poetical way. And sometimes it's already really just there waiting for the plucking. <laughs> huh. Have you ever written a song with Cisco? No, although Cisco is really good at helping me tighten up some lyric things. When we're in the studio, a lot of times we go, you know, this line is really bothering me. And I'm like, how dare you? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Really, nine times out of ten, he's right. So I've learned to trust that. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so I play a little guitar just as self-taught, and I don't cover a ton of songs, but I'll fear hard times in Babylon. I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but I love Beauty Way. People love singing that song, and I never get tired of it, fortunately for me. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> it's like you want the song that everybody knows to be something that you can stand playing yourself over the years. And I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> My father made a pretty damn good living Playing music on the beauty way He's gonna die with some money in his pocket Wish I could do the same today, little darling Wish I could do the same today No white kid and a little transistor Tuned into Wolfman Jack I picked up a I heard the sirens whisper And I never looked back But darling And I never looked back I worked the clubs along the sangrated crystals Polished the diamond in the rough By the time I hit L.A. I was hotter than a pistol But you never had enough But darling I felt the lights on the big, big stages Fire burning in my soul I've had those nights when my guitar rages But it's not something you control, darling It's not something you control it's a very easy song. I'm sure you noticed. Yeah. It's like the same yeah. chord progression over yep. and over. Yep. But I think what made it interesting was trying to use the same chord progression, but changing your melody, yes. which is a fun exercise and actually reminds me that I want to try my students on that. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to do. It's true. It is hard, but it actually can get you out of your comfort zone if you try something like that, where you do a repeating chord progression and then change your melody between your verse and chorus. Huh. I know it's somewhat autobiographical. Mm -hmm. Is it mostly you? Is it your dad? Is it a combination of both the song? It was really about my brother oh. more than anything. But then I kind of went off on a tangent <laughs> because he's the one that really worked the clubs along the Sangre de Cristo. And oh, he really did. That's cool. By the time I hit LA, I was hotter than a pistol, but you're never hot enough. Yep. Because that's always the thing for guitar players, you know, it's just... <laughs> Are you hot enough? Yeah. He certainly cut his teeth in those great old dives dance halls of New Mexico. Huh. Oh, it's just a great song. For those who do not have that album, folks, Hard Times in Babylon, <laughs> gotta have it. My breakup record. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. It was. It was a breakup record. <laughs> those are usually the best. <laughs> I know. Some people say, oh, that's my favorite. Well, you're never going to get another one of those because I'm not going to go through that again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never want to be that miserable again. Yeah. Yeah. In your concerts, you've kind of joked about falling for guitar players. That's right. That used to be what I did. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. 
So have you collaborated with other artists? Who do you like to collaborate with? You know, I did a whole collaboration years ago with Andreas Vollenweider, the harp player from Switzerland. Oh, and I'm sort of his chanteuse. I moved to Zurich and lived in his house and we wrote this whole record together. And oh my God, it was one of the most painful huh. experiences of my life. Oh no. Well, no, only because it was two artists just okay. banging heads and disagreeing and then coming together and making something beautiful. And it was just interesting, but it was hard, but it was productive. But I'm not a great co-writer. Lynn Miles and I mm-hmm. just wrote a song together. You're kidding. No, it was for Folk Alliance. Oh. They did this little thing, challenge artists to come together and write. And Lynn and I just put together a really cool little song. Oh, last year. No, just this year. They're doing it this year. Oh, this year? Yeah. They haven't announced them. Oh, okay, okay. It's about to be announced. That's a great thing. They asked us to do it a few months ago, but it hasn't come out yet. I think they got 20 hours to pair up and write 10 songs. Oh, I look forward to hearing that. Lynn Miles is a great Canadian songwriter. Oh, gosh, she's so great. She's a very creative person. (laughs) Yes, she is. Was it easy to work with somebody? First of all, virtually, you can't sit in a room with her in the last year. What was that like? Lynn is just so amazing. And she had an idea already. And so we just went, well, that works. Let's go with that idea. It was a great idea. So we ran with it. This song just came out so fast. Oh, cool. It was a great idea. But I have to say, she was the one who had the original thought. (laughs) That is neat. Uh, I look forward to hearing it. Do you know any of the other artists? Are you allowed to tell? No, I don't know who the other artists are. I I haven't seen the list. Uh, I think they did this a couple of years ago. I think I remember seeing it live at Folk Alliance with other artists, and it was really something. So I look forward to hearing that. Yeah, it would have been great to have done it live. When did you get involved in the Folk Alliance world, and when did you find the tribe? Let's see, Lost and Found was out in 2004 or something, so probably right off the bat. Cool, okay. So I don't know when they started, but that was pretty early. It was in Austin originally, I think. That's right. So it was easy for me at the time. It just wasn't as big a community. It was very insulated. And so I think I kind of swept the awards back then. But as it grew, you know, it was more like, oh my God, all these other artists came on board (laughs) and they're really good and became a real scene. And then it was like, does anybody even know who I am (laughs) or who I think I am? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that. That's my favorite line. Yeah. (laughs) Or a legend in my own mind. Don't you know who I think I am? Which was great. It just took off. Which I'm very excited about that because what Folk Alliance has done, it has legitimized the perpetuation of the genre. And I think it's really important because I don't want folk music to actually be homogenized into Americana. I really hope that doesn't happen. And Oh, interesting. It's actually a big goal of mine is to make sure that that doesn't happen because folk music can be urban and it doesn't have to be Americana, which is very suggestive, kind of roots feel. But folk music has a history of being political music. And I would really hate for it to be just diluted into the Americana genre because the folk heading really legitimizes sociopolitical music. And Hmm. I don't want to see that just kind of get diluted into the mainstream of Roots music. Oh, man. We've been asking our folks here what they think of the word folk music and what it means to them. And Mm -hmm. you just nailed it. That's so cool. It's important to me. And when you see what's happening in that folk community, what's happening there is really a communal experience. And Folk Alliance has really nurtured that and grown it into something that is a really, really viable and separate sound and intention. 
and when you see that coming to a fruition like that and you see young people suddenly have this place to have a voice and they're really, really opening up to different hmm. genders and genres and age groups and ethnicities and cultures, the expansion potential within this genre is just immense. So I'm really grateful to Focal Lines because I think it could have easily just been sucked up into Americana which is really kind of country roots based, right. very rural sound. And folk music has been just as urban as it was rural uh, many years. It's the truth. In 2020, you put out your album entitled 2020. Mm -hmm. And one of the songs on the album is Peace in Our Hearts, which just won Song of the Year at the Folk Alliance International Virtual Conference. We normally get together in February. The last few years has been in Kansas City, then New Orleans, and we were scheduled to go back to Kansas City. But alas, we had the most incredible online event. Congratulations on that. Oh, well, thanks. I was actually very surprised. There were some good songs. They really were great artists. Yeah. So how did that song come about? And I've seen the video. It's gorgeous. And <laughs> how did all of it come about? Well, the song actually I wrote several years ago and it was on my desk in Austin and a pile of unfiled papers. And when I was writing the record, I kept thinking, I want to write a sing-along song, mm. something that's sort of anthemic that people can sing while they're in a march or when they're in mm. a group <laughs> or when they're on the front lines or whatever. And it's got to be simple. You know, it's got to be something they yeah. can jump in and sing without having to think about it. And so I just wrote Peace in Our Hearts and then I stuck it in this pile of papers and I forgot about it. <laughs> I had all the songs for the record and I kept thinking, I really still need that anthem, you know. And I was cleaning my desk and getting rid of a bunch of papers. <laughs> and I lifted up the notebooks and there was that song. I was like, well, that's it. I completely forgotten I'd written it and it was some kind of mm. little unconscious voice. Lift the notebook, <laughs> Eliza. <laughs> that was your dad. That was your dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Would you be able to do that for us? Let's see here. We're gonna walk together arm in arm with peace in our hearts. We're gonna walk together arm in arm with peace. We're gonna walk together arm in arm So our sisters and brothers won't come to any harm No, we got peace in our hearts We're gonna walk with every color and tribe With peace in our hearts We're gonna walk with every color and tribe with peace in our hearts we're gonna walk with every color and tribe cause we're stronger together when we're on the same side we know we got peace in our hearts we're gonna stand for the earth and our children too hearts we're gonna stand for the earth and our children too with peace in our hearts we're gonna stand for the earth and our children too cause it'll take everyone to make this dream come true 
we know we got peace in our hearts We're gonna stare into the face of a hateful mind With peace in our hearts We're gonna stare into the face of a hateful mind With peace in our hearts We're gonna stare into the face of a hateful mind let our love light shine and we know we got peace in our hearts yes we know we got peace Wow, wow, wow. I was singing. I had to mute my mic because I needed to sing. Oh, that would have been nice. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I really needed to mute my mic. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Can you tell me a little bit about the video and the people in the video? Folks are going to have to go watch it. Yes. It turned out so great. It was right when everybody was starting to do those cross-pollination videos, you know, where somebody <laughs> dials in their part and then somebody compiles it all. So I had the idea to do it with that song. And I asked around trying to find the right people to sing on it. And I had this idea to invite Sam Butler, who worked for many years with the Five Blind Boys of Alabama. He's a great, great soul oh, singer, gospel singer. What a voice. He really is probably my most favorite voice on the planet. Oh. He's just such a great singer, and he's a wonderful guy. And I met him years ago because he recorded a song of mine, unbeknownst to me, until after he recorded it, the song of mine called Sanctuary. Oh. And he had done it in such a gospel way, and I had never thought of the song as being a gospel song. But when I heard Sam do it, it was like, whoa, my God. Ooh, I need to find that. Yeah, it's Sanctuary with Sam Butler. It's a beautiful version. Oh, because that's one of my favorite songs of yours, too. He does it with a sacred steel guy and yeah it's really nice cool. and then sam and i did it as a duet on secularia ah. it was a spiritual record that i had put together and so i invited sam to sing with me on that one too and he just oh my god sang it so beautifully and we had a gospel choir come in ah, and ah. sing it with us and it came out really nice through the darkness gloom and the scenic sneers Sanctuary, thou art 
Sam and I become friends and, you know, he's born again Christian and I'm not, but we really both speak the language of love and are very comfortable Mm -hmm. with our differences. So I sent the song to him, just said, you want to sing this with me? And we got a videotape. It was really when COVID Mm -hmm. was, everybody was really in strict lockdowns. And so I had to arrange for a friend of mine as an engineer in Minnesota anyway, and he had to meet Sam at Sam's church and they had to do all the social distancing and he brought his daughters. So those two wonderful black women that are at the top of the screen, those are Sam's daughters. That's who they are. Okay. Yeah. And they had worked out some moves and oh my God. I know. I was just going to say, they got the moves. They got so much style and confidence. Oh yeah. And singing with their dad. It was quite special. I started a women's group in Austin called We Women, which is Women Elevating Women in Music. And We Women is great, great singers and musicians in Austin. And I had wanted to start a group Hmm. of women because I felt like I myself needed to open up to the new music that was coming up with younger women. And I was feeling like I was starting to turn into a cranky older person who was like these young whippersnappers and developing attitudes. Who do they think they are? (laughs) Yeah, they're taking up my space. Yeah. If you can't beat them, join them. Yes, exactly. Change your attitude and embrace these people because it's hard. It's worse for them than it was for me, even though women weren't being signed. We had venues and we could yeah. Tour. I mean, these young people coming up, it's just about impossible to make anything happen. It's so hard. Brutal. So we got together and it was just an amazing group of people. And so I invited some of them to sing on this video. Betty Sue. Yeah. She's yeah, great. She's great. And Chris Williamson, who's just an amazing, venerable singer. And my granddaughter, Bea, is on there. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she's the La Mexicana girl on the lower right part okay. of the screen. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Well, thank you for doing that. For oh, it's fun. It's good for me to sing something. I haven't sung in a while. <laughs> oh, it's great. Is there been a song over the years that has just wowed the audience that kind of surprised you that it was that song? Well, Hard Times in Babylon, because I thought it was so personal. It just sounded <laughs> like this one guy you know, that I was writing about and then had a tragic ending. I mean, they still request it. I didn't really understand how something so personal to me could be so universal. I understand that with some songs of mine and other people's songs, how a very personal song can be universal, but this one was so specific. It even had the guy's name in it. (laughs) That's really cool. You were my hero A shoulder to cry on When I bottomed out at zero And in the hour of the wolf before the tongue hard times in Babylon Okay, so you had to go Take a walk on the wild side down through the valley of the shadow But it just don't seem Could have called out There's not a man or a woman Gathered here tonight in the big house Wouldn't run to pull you through An incident so grievous Twenty years ago Hard times 
but it really translated, and I don't know why. I still don't know why. It was a really sad song, huh. but people really related to that, really resonated with it. Have you been writing during this last year? I just, this is like the last thing I felt like doing yep. was write. Yep. And I, this is one of the things that I've been telling in my group when we meet online is like, let's stop beating ourselves up because we mm-hmm. haven't been writing during COVID. We're all overwhelmed and kind of traumatized, you know? Yeah. Oh, I truly believe that. We're just trying to survive right now and try to stay sane and be kind and be grounded. That said, I decided to make a record. (laughs) You did say to me you were in the studio and I wanted to ask if that was a new project. Yeah, it's a new project, but it's sort of perfect for COVID because this is a project that I have been putting on the back burner for so many years because the political stuff was so important to me. And Mm -hmm. these records that I've been making felt so important in the time that we were in. And I wanted to go on record and put something out there that addressed these issues. But now that we've had this election, I put two records out right in a row. And so I thought maybe there's a time to visit this project that I've been really wanting to do for years and haven't been able to slip it in. And this is what I call the songs from the river wind. And these are songs I wrote over the years. They're not political at all. They're all story songs about the West and (gasps) my own relationship with the Southwest and my love of the beauty here and the nature here and my whole little cowboy phase. So there's all these songs for that. (laughs) I can't wait. Oh, thank you for saying that. I'm really excited about it too, because there's some songs back in there that are really personal story songs that are a whole part of my life where I was up and down in Wyoming and New Mexico touring and being on the road and these failed (laughs) romantic relationships. With cowboys? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Awesome. (laughs) And then my love of this part of the world, because I'm in Taos now and we've kind of moved to our house up here. (gasps) Oh! Yay. We have moved here in May for COVID and we love it so much that we're going to make this our home base. So we're in the process of shifting. We're going to sell the Austin house and make this permanent. Whoa, that's huge. Yeah. Cool. It's huge because it's not near an airport. Hello. I just did the same thing. You did? I moved to Canada. I'm from Canada originally. I never in a million years expected to move back because I was in New York first and then Philly. I'm in Ontario working with a Celtic festival here that I'm running. And I'm two and a half hours from Toronto airport and I'm two and a half hours from Detroit. Wow. But COVID caused us to make big life changes. Yeah. We just want to be in a beautiful, sane place. And we just appreciate the nature here every day. We can't believe our good fortune. Oh, yay. I have two things. First is a question I ask everybody. What's the silliest, funniest, craziest thing about yourself that nobody would ever guess? (laughs) Okay, I can tell you a terrible thing about me. I make this sauce (laughs) out of hemp oil and almond butter and umeboshi plum paste and seaweed. (laughs) Can you say that again? (laughs) No, it doesn't sound great (laughs) to people. I know. And you cake this on everything? I did put it on a lot of stuff. Yeah. I love it. Well, it's a kind of a way to get oil and seaweed, but still it's an excuse. But my husband is our cook and he just can't believe that I put it on a food that he's made that's already seasoned and perfectly delicious. Oh. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Ah, this has been a lot of fun. Where can people find you on the interweb? 
Well, of course, ElizaGilkison.com is good. And then I love when people go to my fan page on Facebook because that's how people find out about my shows, yep. my live stream shows and everything. So they should follow me Excellent. on my fan page on Facebook. Yeah. Perfect. That's the best way. I'm on there a lot. I enjoy that. Perfect. And I know I shouldn't because no. they're <laughs> the enemy, but that's kind of all we got these days. I know, I know. But it's still a good way to get in touch with our fans. Thank you for being out there. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. Yay. Folkpod is a production of Long Story Short with me, Cheryl Prashker, your host, producer, and lead schmoozer, and Shauna Boniface, creator, producer, and editor. Like and subscribe to Folkpod wherever you get your podcasts. And please give us five stars on iTunes. It really helps raise our profile for more listeners. Catch us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Folkpod. Thanks for listening and hope to see you next time.